Well, we're back on another little Thrivecast here. Um, got Dave Shaw from the Hunters Club, effectively my boss or business partner or whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's the man in the tr- <laughs> he's the man in the trenches behind um, a lot of what we do on the show at the Hunters Club, the Red Stag Timber Hunters Club. So it was just a matter of time that I could wrangle him uh, on the on the podcast. Uh, we've been pretty busy, no doubt. You know, as everyone probably knows, since COVID's been lifted, we've been flat out spread throughout the country doing hunts. In fact, oh, my boots are still wet. I've literally just come in from chasing some Brucer and uh, Dave's literally strapping his boots on to head down south with the other boys. So welcome, Dave-o. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me, Dre. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Mate, am I sensing a little bit of a mo going on there? No. That? No. Absolutely. Oh, no. Oh, no so maybe... that's, that's about three days. I'm, if, I, if you want to see a problem mo, wait till November. Yeah. Yeah. I got to hold my hold it back because I only get you know three weeks, four weeks of the year. I'm allowed to not shave because this is my boss won't allow uh, stand for it. So yeah, make hay while the sun shines in November. Yeah, I know we're all pretty stretched pretty thin at the moment with November coming around. I, I'm I'm already getting a head start, and I'll have to do a clean shave no doubt before that comes around. I'll have a beard out here by then. But um, no, it was sort of timely. I was just saying the last one I had with Jamie, um, saying it was timely to sort of catch up with a few few people that um. You know, that I've always been, you know, heavily involved in the last, especially the last couple of years of the hunting and stuff that I've been doing. So it made, made sort of sense to get you on board and, I don't know, throw a few questions but at you for the, for the punters. Heavily, heavily involved in, in, in kind of curtailing your hunting or, you know, curtailing, uh, tripping up at the last minute, like a bloody uh, fullback ankle tapping you as you dive to the corner. Yeah. Oh, there's been a, there's been plenty of that, but that's part and part of the parcel, you know, like, well, that's what we do, like. Yeah. So it's had the shape, and, I, and I'll come back to that because that, that's definitely a talking point I'd be keen to get your perspective on, but also I'll probably throw in my um, perspective too. But I, I guess an obvious start for, for, the, for this would be to um, go sort of hark back to the inception of the show and, and, and sort of give um, people some insight into how it all came about from, from your end. Um, and maybe touching on some of the experiences before you got into it because... Um, Although you didn't have, you hadn't done stuff in the hunting world, but you had, you know, you had been previously filming in, in the outdoors space and in, in mm. terms of fishing. But, um, but I'm keen to hear about like your the creative sort of drive, the perspective, but also like how the show came about and how those two sort of things got kind of married up and, and where we're sort of sitting now. Yeah, it was kind of a the show started on a. I was looking for an excuse to get out in the hills again after having my first hunting experience, and I, I'd been doing the IT fishing show for six years up to that point and I used to get quite seasick. It's not a great combo for a cameraman to be seasick. But after... I couldn't years, believe that when, when you told me that. I actually couldn't believe that you got seasick and you'd spent... I mean, you did years with anyone, Matt. I think anyone who's trying to film in, in big seas, even if you're the staunchest, saltiest sea dog, put a camera in your hands. It's like trying to read a book on a roller coaster. Yeah. But yeah, I, I used to take some pretty heavy-duty anti-nauseous because my wife's a pharmacist and she'd always set me up but they'd make you a bit drowsy and sleepy so it was always a hard balancing act but yeah so we got invited down to do a, a hunting trip this cocky young character wrote us an email by the name of dan curley to the itm fishing show saying matt i want to see you show hunting the same way that you pre- present fishing because i'm not seeing the kind of hunting that i do represented well on tv so we took that as a challenge and went down there and had a, an awesome uh, you know few days in the hills and um i remember just thinking shit i need to I need to get off the boats and get into the mountains because from a cameraman's point of view, like, there's nothing better. Oh, speaking of which, there's Nat David trying to call me. I'll call him Nat. Um, 
Yeah, there's that's, nothing. That's the life of Davo. It's just like constant. Like we're we're constantly fielding calls and text messages from yeah. people all the time, try, like wrangling trips and sorting stuff out. So it's no doubt you're getting barrage in the middle of this podcast. Nat, <laughs> well, that, we're doing another spearfishing show. So we're in the in the same process as when I was doing five six years of of ITM when mm. I started Hunters Club. I'm now on this. I'm not being jaded by Hunters Club, but we're starting a new series about spearfishing. So it's kind of yeah, early yeah. days. Um, whereas unlike when I got into doing hunting, I had no understanding of what hunting was. Or I knew what it was, but I didn't understand the motivations and, and the, the drivers. And so I went from fishing to hunting and it was a real learning curve, but now going from hunting to spearfishing, I've got a bit more of an understanding because I've got skin in the game. I do a bit of spearfishing myself. So that's right. Yeah. Such a disconnect. But in the early days, man, you think back to what, what we did and what I, we yeah, all the mistakes I made and my expectation on, on this trip with Matt, we were on the station hunting because obviously we weren't, you know, going to do a heavy duty public land hunt when we had to kind of turn it around in, in, a, in a couple of days. And so we filmed on the station and it had, uh, had fellow Wapiti Reds at Seeker and all these animals cruising around at different kind of heights. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, oh, sweet. So yeah, that's, that's just natural. Like there's a Wapiti down there and, and he's got the big white butt. And then there's these two fellows scrapping on this hill and we're after reds and there's like these gold metal like monster heads. And I just thought, oh, this is cool. This hunting's pretty easy. Like there's animals everywhere. And not understanding like that's, a, you know, it's a game park. So, it's cool. It's this job. Yeah. But no, no, no Kelly just wanted, wanted to guarantee that Matt could slot an animal yeah, and slot yeah. one. And, mm. as, and as you as you would, and I guess I, I, it's funny because you, um, I didn't hear any, I don't know any about, about any of this until quite later in the piece. And I remember actually going down to hunt fellow uh, that year and I was crashing on the couch at Curly's place with Jamie actually. And we were, we just, we had just flown out of like eight or something days. Oh, I can't even remember where we were, but yeah, somewhere in the, in the Otago country chasing fellow. And, um, and Curly was telling sort of, as he normally does, he's sort of weaseling into the conversation. And I just sort of fobbed it off as a bit of a, you know, oh, that's awesome, Curly. Like I, you know, and, but in the same breath thinking that'd be bloody awesome. And it's, it's a great idea. And then like, I think, literally when I landed in Hamilton the next, the next day or a couple of days later, I got a message from you and you Chuck. were driving through. And that <laughs> yeah. was the end of that. I, 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 I remember getting on the skateboard. I oh, know I drove over and I, I I'd caught up over a coffee or something. Or, and, yeah. uh, and that was the end of that. I think about a week or two later, we were, we were chasing probably Samba or, or Rooster or something, but we were, yeah. it was just, it was sort of straight into it. But, you know, like going with going back to your stuff that you're doing with Matt and in the outdoor space, and you've also done stuff like before that, like you know, we've talked about the stuff at length in the mountains and, and in the bush and stuff about your experiences in Europe with um, History Channel and, and other um, sort of discovery-based shows, and no doubt you've accumulated a bunch of experience from that kind of genre or I guess style, and then being able to bring it over into what we're doing now. Like, how do you think that stuff's influenced the creative and process and maybe even like the cinematic perspective of, of of what of what we deliver now on on screens i think it's entirely the, the, what i take home from all those experiences is learning how to do each little part of the the puzzle like kiwis right. are really good at, at learning every aspect so you work for discovery history and you've got one job might be like the boom guys just holding the mic or a <laughs> uh, camera assist who's just racing back and forth getting sticks and lenses and crap but when you start you do all those roles over time and you think oh, I can do it all myself. And then yeah. the IT fishing co, you kind of had to, cause there's only a team of five of us. And now it's a team, me and the wife, One. all the admin and, and all that stuff. And then, yeah, so you, you, but you trust that you know what's required. So 
it's having the confidence to be able to go and, and just do it all off your own back now. And, and mm. back then, you didn't have the tech to allow you to do that because the cameras were too yeah, big, yeah. bulky, and batteries too big and bulky. And now, you can you can do it all as a one man band. So mm. it's fair to say, like when we came on the scene, especially with the pilot that you and Julian uh, Curley did, and that went up sort of on public sort of domain, and like it caught a lot of people sort of eye, and just in, in just in the, the, the quality of footage, but also the style and the cinematics of it all. Um, where do you draw, and, and I know the stuff that we've done, and, and I've been part of the process from a sort of a, sort of out the back sort of stance, but like the creative process around creating the, the look and feel of, of what the Hunters Club looks like on screen. And it's not just the footage, but it's like the sound design, it's the whole, you know, it's everything else that goes into producing some of its TV quality. Like where do you draw your, I guess your inspiration from and, and your style, like, mate, it, it's. I think I get a lot of uh, you know, smoke blown at my ass for making something that looks real pretty. But at the end of the day, it's just the pretty surrounds. I point a bit mm. of glass in that mm. direction, and it looks amazing because it is amazing. And if you if you, I just shoot a lot. I shoot a hell of a lot more than I'll need. That gives you the chance to be able to pick and choose the best shots, and then you can yeah. you know, cherry pick the best stuff. But really, it's. I mean. Uh, Learning your gear is the main thing. Like you learn what glass works well in which environments and what time to use. I mean, in the early days, I was, I was so in love with slow motion because I had a slow motion setting on the camera and half the series was shot in slow motion. There's only so much atmospheric kind of tough guys walking through the snow because it doesn't doesn't progress storyline at all. And then I've, I've fallen in love. If you look at season three, four, five, it's all time lapse, time lapse, time lapse, because that looks really cool. Atmospheric, you know, clouds come and going. So now you've got to balance it because you can't get too, you know, obsessed by one one little um, trick of the trade. Like yeah. the, my new one, the, the, the stabilized GoPro, because yeah, charging through the bush and it's all smooth as silk. Yeah, but yeah. You just need in drones. Obviously, it was it was a game yeah. changer. Drones coming in at the same at the right time. We, we uh, so it's, sorry, you go, mate. Yeah, I was, you know, for a pilot, we, we'd hired this company to come and do all the drone work, and it cost an arm and a leg. And then, you oh, know, man, I remember the cops on the back of that ute. Yeah, yeah, it was massive. Four weeks later, I had my own little drone, and I was over the moon. I was like, oh, this is going to save me all this money. And then I you know, crashed it a few weeks later after that, and then got another one and another one. On to number yeah, I, remember fly- I actually remember flying that fan- that initial Phantom series, and far out, it was twitchy as hell. And, like, yeah. it was so, it, like, they just they were so hard to fly. But now they're just, like, you... <laughs> It's so um, automated now that those aerials are just, you don't even, it, it's not even anything you really contemplate around. It, it's something you just do. So, um, as you see, I was going to say that the, on the weekend, just last with duck shooting, I just throw the thing up in the air, mm. fly around, get a shot, and then I pick up my main camera, get all the slow mo, well, you know, while it's still up there, yeah. While it's filming, because you can trust that it's not going to go flying away and bloody mm. uh, birds do. Those, um, what are they called? Spearwing plovers were having a crack yeah. at one of them. Mm-hmm. They'll have a crack at anything. Oh, I, I, I admit, oh, there's a lot. I've learned a lot from you over the. Um, you know, it's been what six, seven years now. We've been sort of uh, in the trenches doing the stuff with the other boys, and it's it's been quite a good. It's been a good way to invigorate my um, my hunting. I've always carried a camera, and, and you'll find a lot of hunters do. They'd like to capture stuff and uh, and record it just for their own purposes. And now with the, the sort of like advent of social media and YouTube and a whole other bunch of platforms, people can kind of share that stuff right into your palm of your hand now so it's quite good to be able to have that exposure to the, some of the techniques that you've um, been using and see you do them in the field so i've really enjoyed that but 
it's probably probably a good segue because you mentioned like you know you've just got glass you've got a pointed and we're so lucky because we get to go to these unbelievable spots literally sort of bucket list places and we get to do it you know throughout the year and and i sometimes only with the covid lockdown i've sort of almost taken it for granted like i've missed out on some of that south island stuff this year um and you're saying it, it makes your job kind of easy through the lens but um you know with our extensive travel both around new zealand and even in, in, internationally um is there anything that stood out to you like particular trips or locations that just gone, man, it was just, uh, it was just unreal to shoot and it played off the way that I needed to. And it just came up, you know, total gravy. Like is there any trip over the last, well, I'm calling over six, seven years now. Yeah. That it stands out for you? The last Stuart Island trip was, was ticked all those boxes. Stuart Island's mm. tricky because Whitetail are a tricky beast to, to, to get on camera and to hunt, but, we, the good thing about Stuart Island, we usually have like six, seven days. And so I'm always stressed mm. the first day, two days, three days, because I'm trying to get all the material for the show. It's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together and you don't have the pieces. And you start collecting the pieces and you think, ah, oh, sweet, this is going to work. This is going to work. Got enough duration. Then you can kind of let your guard down and have fun. And we got, you know, five deer in the end. We let a few walk that, you know, on camera. It's like, well, you know, we've got enough. Uh, had a great time diving. Had heaps of fun around the campfire, cooking meat, eating like kings. And, that was a, just a super satisfying trip where no gear got damaged, no one got injured, uh, got a really good episode and um, ticked all the boxes for you know, our sponsors and things like that. So that was a satisfying trip. But just this last one I've done, the tar hunt with Timmy was great. Like we didn't shoot any, any trophies, we shot meat animals, but it was a guy's first experience hunting tar that we were with and it was just bluebird weather and just beautiful country so that was super satisfying in itself even though we worked real hard to climb high and couldn't find any big bulls but it mm. was uh, yeah it, it, the satisfaction doesn't come from snotting big trophies as much now like sure yeah, if yeah. It's not a big trophy we're over the moon but if you set yourself the expectations that we're only going to come out of the hill with a big trophy and you don't you just feel flat so yeah, we're trying to move it away We've had a few of those flat feelings coming out on a few, on a few occasions through the seasons, and I know it's like it's like it, I can't. There's nothing else I can um, sort of you know like simulate it with, but it's other than it's like losing one of those rugby like clinch rugby games where you like you need yeah. to make the playoffs or something, and you 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 come off the hill, you know, you just you just sort of disappointed and empty-handed. But like previously with before filming, I didn't you know I wouldn't have I wouldn't have bothered me too much, and it's something that I've it's it's like become more. Um, I guess there's more, the stakes are higher, I guess. Well, it's a um, the stakes are higher, but the satisfaction of success is higher as well. Mm, like, mm. You feel, you feel deeper lows when you fail, when you're on a shoot, when you're trying to film, yeah, yeah. you know, time away and the work. I know, yeah. I know the, uh, you know, the, the Stuart Island probably, definitely probably, I mean, I wasn't on that trip. <laughs> freaking trying to get in there for quite a few years for whatever reasons, <laughs> but like the, um, and, and I know for you, and, and some of them are like the ones that stick out for me, uh, probably the Fjordland trip, but no doubt for you, like those ones, where you're sort of stationed a little bit, you know, centrally somewhere and you can kind of satellite camp and, and hunt and fish and dive and whatever from there. Yeah. They're not, they're sort of like holidays for us a little bit. Like yeah. they, they, although we're doing it and it's busy and you're out there, but it, it's, it's sort of those, like, I wouldn't say easier hunts, but they're just a bit more relaxing, probably well, more physically than anything. The pure salt one that, that we did three season three. Yeah. Three or four. Yeah. Right, that you're yeah, that's, like, that's a great example. Cause, cause yeah, that's the same thing. We treat ourselves on those trips because we've done the hard yeah. yard, the mountain climbing and the multiple days away living in a tent. And then once or twice a year, if you can get the group together and, you know, have a Yeah, that was probably a highlight yeah. for me because it's vastly different from the the, the, phys the physicality involved in a lot of hunting that I do both north and south. Like, But I enjoyed that one the most because it was quite social. 
mm. you know we were just yeah, it was just different and, and and it was a chance to sort of put put your feet up although i remember at the time anna was you know a, a few weeks out from having grace having <laughs> baby so it was I, I remember being a little bit nervous but still enjoying the, the trip nonetheless um but we can't do 10 episodes like that a year because then you feel <laughs> you know it's a bit indulgent you know you one on two yeah that's it fine, yeah. yeah and talking about indulgent trips um and Stewart island uh I know we've got a, a big uh, big trip coming up down to Stewart Island in the coming weeks, yeah. and um, we'll, I'll, we'll talk more about that in a sec. But like, are there any other projects that you can give us some or give the people some insight into what's coming up? But probably, I mean, mostly around this, the Stewart Island because there's a hell of a trip up for grabs there for someone that wants to to to, uh, to throw in a, a uh, I guess a video yeah, like have a punt. Yeah, well, we, we, yeah. We've, we've never done it in the part like. From one of my take-homes from doing IT fishing show is that if you're going to run a competition, it pays to have control or, or to be able to select the winner yourself rather than it being a, a lucky dip. Because yeah. we, we, we did comps all, often for ITM and the first season we did this went through Lion Red and the winner was an absolute legend, old boy, little character who was great on TV. And we thought, this is awesome, you know? This guy was perfect. And then the next couple of times, the guys that won them, just hard work they had really high expectations and they went great fishermen and oh it just got painful so we're doing offering a chance to come on a trip with us but you've got to be made of the right stuff and uh into your hunting into your diving fishing and be a good team man and a stabie owner as well so because stabie's footing the bill so yeah uh, craft well, I'll, I'll, it, yeah i mean like, i saw that video last night from i think it was josh's was his name well, that was that was a rip snorter of an entry i think he's uh he's he's got a strong strong position right now but man i tell you what if you're out there and you're a keen hunter and you're a keen fisherman um hope this product goes up before the end of the week and uh you can get some entries in there because it's it's um it's a once in a lifetime trip in fact I'm gonna go a step further. I'm giving away my spot so that someone else <laughs> yeah. can go down there and do it so uh and i've been trying to get down there for bloody years so um you know if you can get your hands on that on that prize guys get get in get involved because it's um it's an absolute I feel um, really bad about that time. mate because dre's been <laughs> dre's been banging on about how much he wants to get a stewie and i even booked flights with your name on it I just, yeah well I, yeah that's right but you know like yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a patient man it's that's that, that's a trait of a, of a true hunter is I'll, I'll buy my time it, well for me really the drive really is uh you know is is um the hunting whitetail it's it's and Stuart on itself it's just one corner of new zealand I, out of all the places i've hunted around new zealand and the south pacific i just haven't been to Stuart island and chase whitetail down there in addition to butterfish sam wild tells me that, that I'm, i might be able to bag one down there too so um i'll have to save off that but i've, I've got a pretty strong invite from timmy and, and uh, sam wild to go yeah. in and do some commercial harvesting on some butterfish but I, I still question whether they actually exist or not so um for those who don't know, yeah. the butterfish has been the elusive uh, creature that's Dre's oh. been unable to snot. You, you shot uh, golden snapper and big kingies and you know, all sorts. Oh, yeah. Not Everything else except the old butterfish. Oh, a few episodes back, Sam was ripping me about that. So I'll, I've been wearing that on the chin for a while now. So I've got to do something about that. But um, I was hoping Stuart I might, might have been my saving grace, but maybe wait for another year. It'll be next um, year, mate. We'll be trying to get next year. <laughs> Talking about less sort of feed up type hunts and uh, our, our sort of holiday hunts, um, the physicality of what we do, um, you know, is pretty obvious. It's big there. Pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious, especially in the early days. No doubt it, you would have probably been um, found wanting a little bit on the mountain. And I know, I know it was physically challenging for not only for you, but also for us too. But um, how's your, how do you, one thing I've noticed with you is that you've, 
like phys- physically you've changed a little bit. Your fitness is, you know, chip shot. You know, Dave is pretty, pretty, yeah. uh, pretty mobile around the mountain. Like, what are you doing? Well, two things. How do you feel about your your the physicality of hunting now? Uh, but then also, what are you doing to kind of stay fit and, and maintain uh, some sort of level of fitness? Because you're the reality is is you're doing a lot more hunting than we are as hunters on the ground uh, from the group. Um, you're spending a lot more days in boots than we are. I'll just close. Also, the dog can can uh, to play games. Yeah, I'm, I find that, yeah, the more you hunt, the, the easier it becomes. But I think it's a, mentally, it, I've gotten a lot tougher. Yeah, you know, I can put up with um, what I used to, you know, drop lip at. But, yeah, I, there's no substitute. I've stopped kind of running. Now I'll, I'll go to the gym and I'll push sleds around, but I won't, I won't be doing that, you know, week in, week out. I'll, I'll kind of let myself slump after a, a big shoot and then... Two weeks before, I've got another big shoot. Then I'll start going hard. So I don't know. I just like to ramp in and ramp out. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's good practice or not. If it's best to just maintain. But I yeah, just... I mean, it's it's a, but it's a, that that's ideal. But it's it's hard to do. You know, when you've got family, kids, yeah. work, business, travel. Like it's hard to this do. This is that me, man. Like when I'm not in the hills, I'm sitting here. I'm just tapping away for like eight, nine hours, right. stationary, sedentary, drinking coffee. You you and me and both. Then, it's sort of like yeah. one extreme to the other. Like yesterday, I was just climbing freaking gnarly steep ass bluffs in Rusa country and now you know i've been sitting at the desk for the last six hours just staring into a screen so um mm. it's a hard one to balance out but um if you can sort of maintain some sort of level of fitness but i do I, what i have noticed with you especially over the last six years is that your general preparedness is a lot better um and that's probably because of the frequency of hunts that we're doing now we've probably we've squashed more into our timeline especially from sort of end of march through to like let's say august we're doing a lot more on the ground so it's probably paid off dividends and that that's the thing is that there's a big health component to hunting for me like it's uh if i wasn't hunting i don't know i mean if i was spending most of my days in front of a computer and doing professional work like i, I don't i wouldn't be doing a lot of moving so I, I make it a point to get out and do that but with the hunting it sort of supplements and keeps you kind of fighting fit for you know hopefully for the rest of my life but um mm. it's but it's been one thing i've noticed about is uh about you over the over the years as a senior sort of progress and sort of transcend into like these higher levels of fitness and uh, I think I can't still, remember the last long trip. Way to go, mate. Like, I'm not I'm not bloody... oh, I remember look I remember look I can't remember what was the last trip we did down south. I think it was with Yuli and I was with you and you were sort of just burning me up the hill and I was thinking shit Davo's got a clean set of heels on him here. He's must be doing he's obviously he's obviously done the work in the off season so it was good to <laughs> good to see. Um and, and the reality is is that you need that sort of fitness for the safety. As much as people don't want to say you don't need it, but the reality is is like there's a safety component to to it too. Mm especially if you're backing up hunts back to back to back to back. Um, well, I look like an absolute psycho because I, I put on my pack every now and again and I just do walks around the neighbourhood and there's a steep hill about a K or two that way and I just go up and down it's it got, yeah. 10 times. And that's good. Pack training is yeah. great because it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's as close as you're going to get to carrying a load around on your back because that's what we effectively do is just carrying shit around on our backs day in, day out. I was hurting going up some of that rooster country yesterday. Um, was climbing out there for that third or second day going up the hill and I was just like, man, COVID's got me... Uh, got me yeah. good I, my, I was punching up there pretty pretty uh pretty drenched in sweat um talking about being out in the hills what's your what's your go-to meal uh on the breakfast i know one thing in anto i always say if we we're hunting with you is like to keep davo on a on a level playing field and 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 no, no sort of tantrums is keep the man fed make sure you've got <laughs> sweets on you and uh and, and you'll be good and I know you're always, you know, when we get up in the mornings, you're always sort of milling about a lot earlier than we're getting out of the scratcher. Um, 
what do you like to put in that gut of yours to I've, fuel you up I've for the day? I've changed, mate. I've changed. I've just moved into just a couple of coffees now. Yeah. And then, yeah, so I used to be heavy duty. Like, give me a, a backcountry cooked breakfast with, uh, and I'll eat that arsene out of that backcountry cooked breakfast that <laughs> you guys wouldn't finish. Uh, but now I, I tend to find I just have a couple of coffees and, um, yeah, uh, dried meat. I'm starting to make some turkey. Yeah. Um, I'm, converting Dave, I'm converting Dave over to full keto and fasting yeah. state. No, I, I, I do it at home now. I just have a coffee and get into my work. And I find it just, yeah, I'm hungry by midday. But when you're on the hill and you, you, you start moving straight away, it's nice to, to justify a break at like 9 o'clock or 10 by saying, oh, let's have a quick graze rather than, yeah, you know, having a full gut to start with and just feeling sluggish. So, what's yeah. on your what's on your backcountry order menus at the moment? I know. I mean, I've actually got to put in for some stuff to get sent up, but like you, you're you're quite particular carbonara. about stuff. And, yeah, the carbonara. Oh, cap- I'm a bit sad that the Alfredo's being kicked to the curb because mm. um, chicken tomato Alfredo was my number one. But the but I was impressed. Carbonara. I was really impressed with that uh, being gluten free and, uh, and and trying to sort of stay. Uh, in that kind of realm when I'm in the in the bush, I was re- I was really impressed with that um, scrambled eggs. That brought oh out. yeah, like that's, that's bloody awesome. Mm. If you can get your hands on that, peeps, get get, well, get some of that into you because that's real good. I tell you what, and anyone who's listening could could help our cause here by emailing uh, Tony at backcountry.co.nz. I want them to do a, a boil up, the backcountry boil up, so like watercress and all the you know doughboys and you know some little beef parcels, but do a little boil up, yeah. Pork boil up. That'll be uh, that'll be interesting. I can't do pork though because that's a, that's a, it's all halal. Oh, right? yeah, that's right. Yeah, I reckon they'll sell like hotcakes. Beef hey? bones. Yeah, I'd yeah. be into that. I'll be into that, mate. Bones and that's some bone marrow in there. Bone marrow, yeah. Powdered powdered bone marrow. That'd be bloody good. Um, yeah. What was I running over the weekend? I um I was I didn't have any scrambled eggs, but I was running the old roast vegetables and mash. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the the dual the dual packaging where you've got to do uh, two, you know, like I've, you get I've, the potato residue on your hands as well. It's a pain now. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that, uh, but in, in saying that I better have food to eat than none, but, um, yeah. but the, what's some of the stuff that you've like since the sh- inception of the show and since you've been sort of knocking about with us, bloody hooligans, um, what do you, what do you find yourself on your, that's on your dinner plate now or something that you're eating now that you haven't, that you never used to eat. And now you're like, I'm all about that. Uh, yeah. You know the answer to this question. I don't, I don't actually. I don't. Oh, I don't. Oh, any, or any, of any form. Following your lead, mate. I've just, oh, yeah. Our motivation on that last trip with Tim and Nick was to bang over animals to eat their hearts. It was just like, should we take them? I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's not a trophy. It's a, it's a bull, young bull. Oh, but the heart would be so good. Oh shit, you did right. Bang. And um, had, had the heart that night. And Tim prepares it a different way. He he kind of made these little uh, almost look like donuts, deep discs, fries, yeah. discs, and yeah. they were amazing. And then you know, yeah. it, so just the, the the wild the wild game, the awful. No, that's a better way to do it. Actually, is is cut it cut it perpendicular to the the long axis of the heart. Yeah. That's that's uh, an easier job. I well, find, he's know. not as he's not as refined as you. And he, he goes, <laughs> "Yeah, hey, everybody, get that in here." And get to this piece that had the valves. Or in Stuck a, on it. Like, what the hell? And it's a circular yeah. kind of gross. Chewy yeah. valves, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, you don't want that. You don't want that. But no, that's good to hear because 
it's been. I know. I know. Yuli and, and a few of the other boys have, have, have picked up on that too. But I, I mean, it's something I've always done. But it, it's it's good nutritious food. At the end of the day, it, it's it's good healthy nutritious food, and it's it just it always tastes better on the mountain too. But um, yeah. oh, that that's good to hear. I I don't. Um, I mean, I'll eat anything to be honest. Um, you know that. Um, I think a lot of a lot of people like go hunting with know that too. But um, if you um, I hope that doesn't deter you from hunting me. But like out of all the lads, if you had to be stuck, and and we have done and. In, in recent time, oh, recent and in the past, if you had to be stuck in a tent, in a two-man tent, for an extended period of time, and you couldn't leave, who would it be with, and who would out of the the voids that you avoided? Who, what were the reasons behind avoiding them? Be well, I've probably I've had the displeasure of sharing a tent with each of you, so <laughs> first-hand experience. Timmy would be the worst because he's flatulent and snores horrendously, and he's big. So he'd overwhelm the tent. Uh, Anto has this really awful snore where it sounds like he's, it's, I call it the gravy stroke snore. <laughs> uh, uh, and it bugs me. And whenever he starts that, I've got to put the earplugs in. Yuli's probably not too bad, but um, Yuli's just, he's a stern taskmaster. So I'd feel as though. He's encroaching on his, on his, yeah, on his yeah, regime. Yeah, yeah. Come on, David. Jeez, mate, keep your shit squared away. Come on, what's all this crap here? Come on, mate. And so I'd always be a little bit nervous with that. Curly would be good, but again, he's flatulent. So I reckon you'd probably get the nod. Cause oh, mate, there you go. Bed buddies for life then. <laughs> yeah. L- lucky, yeah. I've, lucky I've got rid of that bloody two-man. I'm, I'm not running that just that single one-man at the moment, so there's not a lot of room that, in there. That's, yeah, I, the, I can't. There's no way I'd take a two-man that weighs like 1.8 kilos. If I can carry a one-man that's 1.2 and have my own bloody area. So. Yeah, but those those little I was just using it on the weekend too. Those um those little one mans that we've been using Tonka for Tonka, yeah. they're they're great little tents. Easy yeah. to put up one to two poles. Like I don't even know what the weight is, but I don't even notice it in my pack. Um, one two kegs, I think. Yeah. Well, there that's... you go. And like to have that shelter, that extra bit of shelter and cover um is great. I mean, I've always been an advocate for just fly camping, even in the bivy bag. And I know I used to bang on with it early in the early in the piece of the show. I'd be like, fuck, we don't need we don't need those bloody tents and all this carry. Just take a fly and a piece of tarp and but my, my tunes changed a little bit over the years I, the, the technology and the and the um, materials they're using now can you know you can get some really condensed sort of uh, sleeping options there in the mountain which keep you warm and obviously sheltered so yeah it's well, uh, pretty well, good hammer gear as well it's like a fly sounds great but when it starts hammering mm. down it's a bit hard. yeah yeah and yeah, we've had a couple of terrible nights under the fly especially those trips in australia they, they got pretty uh, we we you probably if you've seen some of the episodes there with jamie dave and i did a trip to victoria and we just we literally went back in time as we climbed down to this valley and it was the end of the day we didn't we couldn't really go on physically and we just needed to basically doss down for the night and carry on with the hunt the next day and we we, ch- we probably we couldn't have choose the worst spot yeah. to sleep for the night it was like on the inside it was on the inside bend of a creek in the deepest darkest shadiest spot in the victorian high country and little did we know that the river was literally lapping at our feet by morning. By morning, I had to sleep on the outside edge, so I was freezing my nuts off for most of the night. Um, and I think we woke up with all our gear basically frozen and wet. It was like yeah, I remember terrible. trying to frost my pants that were hung up on a tree outside because they were something wet, whacking them against the tree to, to break them enough so I could put them on, and then they just defrost. Yeah, that was bloody <laughs> terrible. Talking about being wet and stuff, and uh, you know, you know, like you said before, you're a pretty keen. Um, show and spear fisherman um and and i've been up more for you in the recent time and, and done a bit of fishing and diving and, and that's something that the, um 
I guess, for lack of a better term, the production company is heading towards is, the, is launching that new spearfishing show, which is going to be great guns. And I've been involved uh, in, in part of uh, some of those episodes, which has been awesome to, to see happen. Um, I was talking to, and I've got to get Jules on here and have a chat too, but like there's some pretty cool uh, trips in, in the can already for that. Um, is, there, is there any insight you can give us about some of the trips coming up with that and, uh, yeah, and where the sort so, of Spiro, um, Southie Spiros is going? Yeah, it's uh, Duke, TVNZ Duke. It will be airing later this year. We haven't, I don't know the date yet. I'm kind of, when it's ready, it's ready. I'm going to clear the slate with all the Hunters Club uh, work first and then it'll roll out. But I, I figure it makes more sense for a spearfishing show to be on over summer rather than over winter anyway. But yeah, mm. first episode is, yeah, we went up to the Wanganella Banks and shot some marlin. One over in Dre's home patch in Vavo, uh, in Tonga. Uh, Three Kings, Coromandel, uh, Port Ferry, Australia, chasing tuna. So there's some, some good, good. Uh, you know, if this whole travel bubble thing plays out the way they expect it with the Pacific and Australia, then it will make a lot of sense. And hopefully people can say, oh, shit, I'm going to do what they've just done because we kind of fall within that remit. Yeah, but, it'd be great yeah. to, um, to highlight some of that stuff because there's some great, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess Kiwis, and it's probably the similar with hunting, like we're, we're you know, we've got we're so lucky with what we've got on our back doorstep, but um, there's a sense of adventure too, getting offshore and going to places you haven't been to. And I think this South East Spiro is when people do finally get a chance to watch that, they're going to see, yeah, it's it's freaking awesome. I can't wait to see it on uh, on on screens because um, yeah, it, it's got the same sort of level of quality that we've brought from the Hunters Club and with all the new. It's basically it looks like this accumulation of what you've learnt and. And you're sort of crossing and meshing paths from the hunting and fishing side of things, and it's just like it's this perfect vessel to to dump that energy and um and effort to. So it's going to be. I can't wait for it to come on, come on our screens. Um, and on the note of fish, snapper, blue cod, or butterfish. What's your choice there? Snapper for the sport, blue cod for the table, and butterfish. If I'm at a restaurant where Timmy's butterfish have been supplied. Shot by Tim. <laughs> yeah. Answer. Now, yeah, blue card, mate. As much as I hate to say it, being uh, living up here in Kerry, Kerry. Uh, oh, you're going to get chased out of town up there when they hear yeah. this. Dirty old snapper. If, if you get so much of it that it's, um, yeah, it gets. Oh, stop it, mate. It Come on. <laughs> There's not many snapper in the Waikato River where I'm living, mate. I've been <laughs> down there. I've been walking that river bank all COVID lockdown. I didn't see any snapper. So, yeah. count yourself lucky. Um, yeah, I, I was t- I was ch- chatting to Sam the other day, and he, like I said, he keeps ribbing me about these bloody butterfish. But he he calls it his uh, his neighbours or in law fish, the old butterfish. It's, he's happy to eat it, but uh, oh, yeah. it usually goes over the fence as a as a bit of a gift or cohort to his uh, his near near neighbours, <laughs> which I found quite funny. Um, circling all the way back to um, camera gear and probably sort of wrap up on 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 your area of expertise. Um, you know, like you, for people that don't know, Dave, and they may have seen stuff on our Facebook page, but like you, Dave carries a plethora of equipment. That's a set that would be probably considered. I know you've whittled it down over the years, and you carry a lot of gear. Um, and you've probably got over the years and time that you've been doing this, you've whittled it down to stuff that you definitely do do or don't need on particular hunts and and whatnot. Like, do you have a preference of camera? Probably is a good start. Like, I know there's like Sony, Canon. And otherwise, you know, other variations of camera. Like, is there a reason that you choose the particular cameras you use? Um, I know there's the big cameras for production quality, and you've got your smaller DSLRs and and, and point and shoot type things. Like, what's your what's your preference for 
for but different applications. I don't have any real loyalty, and I use Canon glass on a Sony camera with an adapter, so I'm not waving anyone's flag. But mm. I just I'm just familiar with the Sony range of cameras because I started using the Z1 way back in the day, and then it's almost just, you're familiar with the menu structure and where the buttons are, and then. Mm. Sony brought out a new family of cameras when we started the show, so I invested in one of those, and, and, and it became quite a mainstream camera that a lot of production houses started using. And so the the, the development lines started, you know, tangent off this one design. So I chose the right one, the right horse to back in the early days, because now their FS7, FS9 now has just been released. They're just really bulletproof, good. Well, not they're not bulletproof. They're not very good in the weather, but they're, they're amazing picture quality and. Um, they do everything that I need them to do. And there's a Canon variety or version, which is just as good, but it's just different form factor and odd feel. It's a bit like, you know, driving left-handed car if you're you know, used to driving in the States. So, you know, it just be, would be weird. Do you get, do you um, wade into like, I mean, just for the, for the punter at home and, 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 the, and the hunter, I guess, wants to film their odd sort of thing. Like, do you wade in, you know, it's, it's a lot more complex than I ever gave it sort of appreciation for, but like, do you, do you wade into things like color science and, you know, all, you know, I know there's different sort of log yeah. versions from different manufacturers and, and, and the pixel sizes and sensors. And like, do you, do you go into to that detail when you're selecting equipment for particular purposes or is it just something that you, uh, you know, the best camera is the one that's in your hand type scenario? Yeah. Um, nah, no, I, I don't, to be honest. Like a lot, I, there's, we've got, I think there's a term pixel peeping where, you, you know, all these guys that talk about debayering and yeah yeah you know uh, but, uh, to me it's it's beyond me if i was doing heavy duty color grading or i got the camera and mates who are all about that kind of thing because they they're just shooting and then handing the rushes off to someone else and then it goes to a colorist who's suspicious and this program davinci resolve and that they make it look a million bucks and you know an editor does an offline edit then an online edit where they use the high res stuff and high bit rates for me it's as i just want bunging into this machine here and then export it on and then send it through FTP to the broadcaster. And it's a way, you know, I'm cutting two or three people out of the system. So yeah. It's just, always uh, come across to me, like in the time that I've spent around you with those cameras in hand and, and, and um, basically as a bloody assistant at times is like, you're pretty just sort of belt and braces and, and probably true to the true sort of Kiwi number eight wire approach to, to that sort of side of things. Cause I know I've had been with other cameramen on different trips and, or even in different scenarios. And it's way, it's like, I'm just like how you guys wouldn't even survive <laughs> in, in the terrain or in the circumstances that we're in. So I always think, you know, David's doing a pretty good, I still remember that, that trip we did with um, Timmy where all the camera gear clapped up and we were filming, we filmed the whole tail end of that show with just oh, yeah. like iPhones and bloody GoPros. And, and mm -hmm. uh, I think my 5d was doing a bit of work too, but it was like, it just shows you you can you can produce something that's um, you know of TV TV quality, but it's more about how you tell the story and how you sort of structure it all together to make it yeah come. A, you come you wouldn't have wanted to start that episode with all those <laughs> all those cameras because it would have been like this is just weird. Yeah. But we had leeway because yeah we had there was like 45, 42 minutes up to that point we needed to get to forty six, so yeah. the last four minutes and it was recovery of a ball. And you know that the 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 glory of that scenario was. If we had the main camera running, we wouldn't have shot that chamois with the drone in the air because it was the only camera I could get an angle on him with. So we got the aerial shot of the uh, chamois hit long down the hill. That's a real highlight for me, eh? Out of all the years that we've been doing this, like, that's one of the highlights for me. Like, I just remember, I remember sitting there with my DSLR and Timmy was lined up and you were like behind him sort of negotiating that drone around that country where there's gust and wind and chamois. Obviously, I mean, for anybody that's hunted chamois, know how 
how wiry these things are in terms of like being able to see you. And so we, we were, the fact that we were able to pull that off with all these moving parts with just down to one situation where the, where the, where the hunter's going to squeeze the trigger to get not only the footage live on camera with our phones and DSLRs, but with the drone in the air and a chamois, you know, oh, that was, uh, when I actually look back at it now, I'm like, man, that's, that's crazy that we pulled that off um, with all those kinds of moving parts. So, but that, that's a real, I think it's a real good sort of summary, like an insight into what, how we're doing it, eh? Like it's just, belt and braces sort of stuff it's yeah. not that you yeah, roll the dice and and sometimes it comes off and sometimes it doesn't i mean i've just been yeah, editing yeah. stuff this morning of a fellow hunt this, uh, during it was last year uh during the croak and it's exactly the same thing we, we took a punt on the last day with oh let's try and croak one up in close and sam and andrew were like pretty low chance of success but it, it plays out and it paid mm. off and because oh, i'm writing the vo for it and i was talking about how We'd achieved everything we needed to on that hunt. It was a super positive. We, you know, shot a couple of good heads, and we were like, "What do we do on the last day? Well, let's lift the degree of difficulty a bit more and try something that it would be a hell of a challenge to have unfold. If it doesn't, so be it." But yeah. it happened, and so it's like mint, doubly, um, yeah. Yeah, those are big wins for us, eh? Because it's not just the it's not just the fact that you've got the the hunt in terms of like the animal on the deck, or you've got the meat, or you've got, you know you've got the trophy or whatever. It's it's all those things that you that the viewer potentially doesn't feel or see is that to just that those few those three or four seconds of footage you know there's a that's us shaking a champagne bottle and just like yeah you know like and, and, and you, you never see that like the, the viewer will never see that and then there's some instances where you're just like you're stoked to get just literally get it on that center and it's in it's in it's on the bloody sd card like you, you're happy to bank it and that's for me that's been a real driver too in recent times is uh is, is trying to just get that stuff on collision. And um, I know because I'm up in the North Island of the species that I'm wrestling around with, with like rooster and samba and bush clad stags and stuff, it's um, it's always not the, it's never the easiest to film. So mm. it's still plenty of work to do in the can there. Um, a couple of, just finish off though. I know you've, you've got to probably get, get on with packing and stuff and I'll, I'll I'm the same, but like to, to wrap up, like for the budding um, outdoor hunter filmmaker slash wants to capture some stuff on, on camera, like, give us a handful of tips and, and things that you could sort of pass on to, to those people that, uh, that want to sort of follow in your same footsteps or, or just, you know, record and, and uh, capture some of their own trips. Probably best thing that we learned after a couple of seasons was don't be afraid to look like a, a or to lower your guard. You don't have to do everything perfectly and getting, getting the humanizing stuff where someone screws up. I'm not talking about missed hits or, or poor shot placement, but, but, the silly stuff that your mates do, which is kind of, you know, happens all the time. If you can capture those moments and, and have them play out naturally, then that counts for a whole lot because, um, yeah, you're not going hunting just to satisfy a bloodlust order. No, you, you know, putting meat on the table, obviously, but it's those little moments between all that is what people, what holds attention. And then sure, you know, you get the old glory action sequence. And when that's unfolding, the other tip is just roll, roll, roll. Don't stop. Don't take your finger off the, the button. And because little sound bites that you know at the moment, in the moment you won't hear them or you won't notice them when you're sitting in an edit, and someone says something that's real um, handy little snippet, you're like, oh shit, that's perfect. That's exactly he's preempted that by what he said before, and you know you, you can never have too much. And so it's like I said before, the jigsaw puzzle thing. Like you, you're getting these little pieces and using them to create a a, a picture that you know you can make it as as long as you want, but short sharp succinct kind of two three minutes if you're starting out it's going to be a whole lot better than 20 minutes of guff but, yeah mm. 
Yeah, I think I think YouTube. I mean, this with the way that, as you said, technology and um, and the form factors of things are smaller and more you know carryable now. Like people are able to capture and, and just some of the stuff I see on YouTube and even in just social media like Facebook and bloody Instagram, like the stuff that people are able to capture with their phones. I'm just like, why the hell does that stuff happen when we're out there hunting? It's sort of like. But but you're right. Like if you're rolling all the time, like the people are generally are now, you're going to capture some pretty cool stuff on on film. Um, and from the from the field to the to the editing suite for you, like, is there anything that yeah? I mean, you've sort of touched on a little bit, like editing in a certain way where you're not you cut out all the guff and keep all the sort of like crispy cool bits will, will help tell the story. But what I'm sort of getting from you and have done over the years is that being able to tell that story in a succinct kind of manner with the bits and pieces that make the story cool, I guess. But when I'm edit, when I'm filming now, I'm editing in my head. I call it editing, which sounds terrible. Heard it here first, Dave. Dave Shaw, <laughs> yeah. editing. But I'll, I'll be filming something, and I'll be thinking, "Cool, got that shot. Now I need a reverse angle from here, or this is a bit of score that I'll be running, or I'll need a little video to link what's happened earlier to this because I didn't film anything in the last two hours, and we've moved from here to here, and the lights changed." Or I'll think I'll get a pickup shot tomorrow in the same daylight with a walking scene. So you, you can't just film and, and then think, right, I'll get stuck in editing in a month's time when I revisit the footage. You kind of, edit, you got to get those essential parts in the moment. It creates a whole lot less work. And, and that's why I can cut a show, like a fjordland trip. It was five days hunting. We got hauled out with the COVID. And then five days later, it was online because I knew when I was filming it, I had to kind of conserve battery, so I couldn't just shoot the shit out of it like every day, shooting yeah. like eight hours of footage. So I picked and chose my moments, saying, okay, this will help tell the story. I've got the walking shots, I've got the laps, I've got this, I've got the discussion, I've got the recap. And it was a really quick edit um, because it was, I wanted to get it online fast. But I also was only selecting the shots as an editor that I knew I'd use. Whereas early in the piece, when I didn't know anything about hunting, I'd shoot this shot and I'd say, well, maybe it'll look better from here, or maybe another option from here. And then I'll do it again from here. And so to have four things to go, oh, which is the best angle? Which is the best one? Which is the best delivery? And now it's like, get that one, cool, move on. Yeah. So you learn the more you shoot. So you're not trying to you know, um, give yourself options. Give yourself options in the edit, but don't give yourself too many options so that you confuse the whole process. Yeah. So going sort of half in with a bit of a, under, sort of an idea of where you're going to be going with the story. But I guess some of that unfolds. But yeah, yeah. You, you're in sort of two minds i guess you can kind of come up with the story as you're going because you can see it sort of playing out and it, you've got like it's like those you know you read those i don't know if you ever had those books when you're younger where you read a story and you get to a point and you've got like two choices yeah. you can go the story goes this way or go that way and that's what i feel like it is sometimes it's like right. we need to get to this exactly right yeah there is a pick a path so yeah we do the intro like your, this trip we're hoping yeah. to do this and then you go and it's completely different like that the beast that's on the behind your head that i can point out there oh all the way up here yeah, we didn't expect him to show on the first night. We're like, we're here on a bloody, you know, looking for fellow, and this is bloody great boar shows up. No, no dogs. So it was kind of mm. like, well, do we snot him or do we come back with the dogs? It was like, nah, let's just put him on the deck. It's a big boar, and yeah, it became the corner. Yeah, that's the way. That's the way I way the way I sort of see it through sort of untrained eyes is like we're in the sort of like crazy pick a path book where you're like you need to get to this point, and it's like where's the fork in the road for the episode yeah. to go, and it's either going to be failure or this, or is it going to be up or down or is it going to be across the river or that you know and i kind of i enjoy that process probably more than i probably should because i should be focused on, on the freaking well, hunting, is, but, but failure doesn't necessarily mean end of the episode failure that's can, right yeah can be like another whole new chapter so we come back again later so yeah, it, yeah. failure is sometimes good 
Yeah. Oh, Dave, I'd, I'd, like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up there. And, but, um, you know, thanks for coming on and having a chat. No doubt you've got bags to pack and, and I've, uh, I've got work to do. So um, no doubt I'll be locking horns with you before. Uh, well, actually, I don't know when the next time we'll be locking horns, but probably won't be before Stewart Island. So live yeah. it up down there, mate. Oh, bloody, uh, it's not a cup of butterfish on your behalf. Yeah, or well, you better come back with a bloody uh, a, a bag full of craze for me, mate. That'll be, uh, that'll be, that'll be the least you could do. Oh, yeah, solid. It's a deal. All right, mate. Hey, thanks for that, Dave. I appreciate it. Cheers, mate. Cheers.